Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Stephen Nill, CEO of CharityChannel.com. So, you want your charity to succeed. You came to the right place. Integration of online and offline techniques is the key to your fundraising success and practical advice on going green is what you need. With this show, The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart, you will learn from experts around the world who provide advice you can use. Our host is Ted Hart, one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. His books range from successful online fundraising to use of social media and how to make your nonprofit green. His guests are leaders in their field who will share tips and trade secrets for nonprofit management, green strategy, and fundraising success. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, Ted and his guests help you maneuver through this economic downturn in the charitable sector to greater levels of efficiency and fundraising success. And now, here's Ted. Good afternoon. This is Ted Hart, your host for The Nonprofit Coach. Today is June 22nd, the first full day of summer. I'm live here in the nation's capital. It's a beautiful summer day. Our page two guest expert today is Patricia Pesquale, uh, the director of the Washington, D.C. office of the Foundation Center. Don't forget you have the opportunity today on this show to call in and ask a question of our expert by dialing 347-324-3080. Again, that's 347-324-3080. You can also email me at tedhart at tedhart.com, or we are in the chat room, and if you'd like to ask a question in the chat room, just go to tedhartradio.com, and you will not only find the chat room, but the radio links for today's show. And as always, we start with page one news. On to the news. First up here on the news, our donations came in fast and furious last night on Larry King's Golf Telethon. Uh, More than $1.8 million was raised in the two-hour CNN show that was part of Larry King's show. Uh, He had dozens of celebrities from all over the country who came in and answered the phones. Uh, And what they reported is a lot of angry people and a lot of very sad people uh, really focusing on the lives of the people uh, whose livelihoods being destroyed and the animals uh, who are being killed with uh, the uh, golf disaster. So not too late to uh, support uh, those charities that were involved uh, with that. There were uh, three charities, the United Way, uh, the World Wildlife Federation, uh, and other environmental groups were receiving funds last night. Uh, So make sure that you reach out and support either the United Way, the National Wildlife Federation, or the Nature Conservancy, which were the three charities that were receiving uh, funds from last night's uh, telethon. Don't forget, always, the radio links are available at tedhartradio.com, so you can follow along. Next up here on the news comes to us from Mashable, the top five social media tips uh, for corporate executives. And, of course, these really follow along in helping what we've been telling executives for nonprofit organizations all along. First of all, if you want to succeed with social media, go where the people are. And certainly social media sites are exploding all over, and this is a great opportunity for you to also invest in people. Social networking, one of the things that's uh, interesting that a lot of people miss is that you have to learn how to be social. You've got to provide information, but it also allows you to show yourself to be a subject matter expert. And there are so many different opportunities, not just Facebook, not just Twitter, but LinkedIn and so many other social networking sites that allow 
you to put your content out in ever-increasing ways, but also to make it very personal and to make sure that you are opening yourself up and showing yourself to be transparent and involved in the, the society that you're trying to create. Don't neglect internal social media either. Depending on the size of your organization, make sure that you are engaging with your board members, your volunteers, and your donors as a principal line of support for your social media strategy. Seems to be the day for fives because also on uh, smooth.org, you're going to find five simple Google Analytic tips that you should be using. I'm not going to go through all the details here, but we've discussed Google Analytics several times. We consider it a baseline must-have for nonprofit organizations to make sure that you are gathering intelligent information that you can then plow back into your social media and web strategies. What this excellent little piece is going to help you understand is how do you read those reports? How do you make sense of the data uh, that's coming in from Google Analytics? So you can go over to the radio links today and read this wonderful uh, story that is brought to us uh, uh, from Smoo's blog. Next up is just a really great idea. In the down economy, we all need ways to expand our budgets, and one of the really terrific ways to do that is to cut down on conference call fees. Uh, it also helps the environment if you increase the number of conference calls that you're doing and not have everybody on the road or traveling to you uh, for meetings. So we're providing you with a link today to freeconferencecalling.com. Really terrific service, but they've just expanded their services, and I'm really particularly excited about some of the additional services that they're bringing. And these are for free. You can now record your, uh, your meetings I, uh, for MP3 files, which means that they can immediately uh, be listened to later uh, via iPod. Speaking of iPod, don't miss the link on our radio links today uh, for all of our prior shows. All of our shows are po podcasts, and you can listen to them live, or listen to them right online, rather, at tedhartradio.com. But this is our 13th show. Our first show is on March 9th, and the audience continues to grow. So far, we've had 4,342 listeners, and that doesn't count today or today's show. Today is our 13th show, and this will be uh, podcast immediately after the show, generally available about 45 minutes after the show. You can go to tedhartradio.com and listen to any of our podcasts right online. But you can also click the little uh, iPod button, or the iTunes button, rather, uh, and port that into your iPod. So if you want to take us along with you or listen on, on the plane or the train uh, or even while you're working out, uh, you can learn more about the nonprofit sector, get caught up on the news, and listen to our Page 2 expert uh, as often as you would like. And, of course, that's all free of charge. Next up here on the Page 1 News is uh, an announcement that the 2010 Nonprofit Tagline Awards uh, program will be announced this month. Now, I'm bringing it up now because, as you're aware, this is our next to our last show before our summer break. Uh, so we have Patricia Pasquale today, and then we have a show next Tuesday, uh, and then we're going to be on summer break. So the nonprofit coach will be uh, on break for June and August, and then we're going to be coming back in September with a bang. Let me tell you all about that. Uh, in just a second, I'm going to be highlighting uh, her book and letting you know who's going to be our very special Page 2 expert coming out of the break on September 14th. Next up here on the news is uh, great news for all geeks uh, and those of us who also love Starbucks, which is always very interesting to me because I don't drink coffee, but I do enjoy uh, Starbucks' other drinks. Uh, and certainly now that they are uh, providing one-click free Wi-Fi uh, to their uh, in-store customers is huge. Read all about it. This announcement was just made this last week, uh, so don't miss the opportunity to learn all about the announcement for that service, but also new services are going to be uh, uh, rolling out uh, in July that will be providing special content being developed on the AT&T platform. Next up here is a very important notice for the nonprofit sector. We'll find this over on the Nonprofit Times. The Nonprofit Times is reporting that volunteerism has increased to the highest rate in six years. Of course, that's really terrific news, defying the popular notion that volunteerism will go down in hard economic times. However, what we're seeing is that while the Corporation for National and Community Service says that 63.4 million adults uh, uh, nearly 
probably 27% of our entire population uh, are now volunteering uh, each year. Uh, the uh, amount of time that, that we're volunteering as a society uh, seems to be remaining flat. So more people volunteering for a little bit less time, which I think in a down economy is not too tough because we're all really, really busy. Now, a little bit of a note on the Corporation for National and Community Service. Their big national conference, which is a must-attend for all nonprofit executives, is going to be in New York City, and that's going to be on Monday. I'm going to be there as well. I'm going to be sharing uh, tips and insights into my new book, The Nonprofit Guide to Going Green. So we're going to be providing information on how to go green on the nonprofit budget. So join me in New York City uh, for the Corporation for National and Community Services National Conference. Back up here on uh, May, page one, I want to note to you uh, that the American Marketing Association Foundation has a call for uh, nominations for the Nonprofit Marketer of the Year. Who will be the Marketer of the Year? Read all about the eligibility and the application process, but make sure you get those applications in before June 30th. That is the deadline uh, for this year. I teased you just a little bit a few moments ago about who our very special guest is going to be coming out of the break in September, and that is going to be no uh, other than rock star Beth Cantor. And Beth, of course, this week, along with Allison Fine, uh, is knee-deep in the uh, release of her new book, The Nonprofit, or The Networked Nonprofit, rather, The Networked Nonprofit. So read all about that over in the radio links at tedhartradio.com. There's a really nice piece uh, that uh, uh, that uh, Beth has written about her new book. You'll also find that in our newsletter, uh, which you can find at p2pfundraising.org. Click on the archives at any time. Next up, we've discussed this several times here on the Nonprofit Coach, and I really am impressed with the Pepsi Refresh Project. Their goal, of course, is a cause uh, marketing-based program in which the company plans to award $20 million in grants in this year alone. And they've really been really terrific about reaching out to a lot of different kinds of charities and, of course, giving people who come to the Pepsi Refresh Project website the opportunity to vote on who should win. Well, one of the things I'm, I'm really impressed with is uh, their connection to sports. Of course, they have a natural connection uh, with their, their brand Gatorade, uh, but they are now reaching out to football, baseball, NASCAR, uh, Major League Soccer, uh, to reach out to some of their athletes to help draw even more attention uh, to the important work of the charities that are involved with the Pepsi Refresh Project. Don't miss your opportunity for your organization to potentially receive a grant uh, from the Pepsi Refresh Project, but for today's purposes, we want to draw your attention to the important work that they're doing to leverage uh, the, uh, uh, the special interests that people have in sports stars to draw attention to charities, and we really praise the folks over at Pepsi uh, for their efforts in doing that. Next up here is you'll find a link in the radio links today uh, at tedhartradio.com. Uh, you'll find uh, a social philanthropy article that was placed uh, by the Chronicle of Philanthropy. And we're very pleased to participate in this because this was actually a call for information. The author of this uh, article is asking for tips on website design for nonprofit organizations. Of course, I've been doing uh, this sort of work since 2000 uh, when I founded the ePhilanthropy Foundation. I've been providing tips uh, for now a decade. So what I've done is provided some updated design tips uh, right on the platform at the Chronicle of Philanthropy. You'll find this link where you will find not only my top 10 design tips, but also a bonus design tip number 11. 11 that you can use in evaluating your own website. And we really want to thank the folks over at the Chronicle Philanthropy for providing this opportunity to draw attention to the design tips that we provide uh, to nonprofit organizations. Just a reminder, when we come up out of the news, we're going to uh, have Patricia Pasquale, who is the director of the Washington, D.C. office of the Foundation Center. She is a known expert in all things about foundations, finding money, and educating nonprofit organizations. So make sure that you dial in today and get a chance to ask a question of Patricia by dialing 347-324-3080. Make sure you press number one. That will show me on the uh, 
switchboard here that you do want to ask a question, or if you're a little bit shy and you want to ask a question in the chat room, we are over in the chat room today, or just email me at tedhart at tedhart.com. Back over here on the news, just a couple of points here that I want to share before we uh, get to our page two expert today, uh, and that is a brand new website just launched over in the UK uh, for British nonprofits. This organization, uh, See the Difference, is the website, uh, is hoping to raise $700 million for charity by 2015. And this is a video sharing website. So we really draw your attention to the wonderful work of Mark Phillips, the founder of Blue Frog, and the organization that is the powerhouse behind this new website in the UK. So whether you just have friends in the UK, are interested, or are listening to us live from the UK, uh, make sure that you check that out in the radio links today at tedhartradio.com. Last up here in the radio links, uh, you'll find a uh, very important service that we're going to hear all about uh, today from our uh, page two expert, and that is the Foundation Finder service uh, and the 990 found Finder services over at the Foundation Center. So we provided you a link to that because, of course, today our page two expert is Patricia Pasquale, and uh, we're going to wrap up page one news today and get on to our page two expert. Don't don't miss the opportunity to ask a question by dialing 347-324-3080. Our page two expert today is Patricia Pasquale, well known as an expert in the foundation and fundraising world. She is the director of the Washington, D.C. office of the Foundation Center. And, Patricia, thank you for joining us here today. Well, thank you, Ted, for having me because the meeting started out that you were going to do a program at my office and, and landed up I'm doing a program for you. So <laughs> you got the upper hand this time. That's uh, all right. Well, I'm just thrilled to have the opportunity to chat with you today because I think there's uh, no more important time for charitable organizations seeking new forms of funding and seeking an opportunity to build those kind of relationships that can help them raise money from foundations. You're a known expert in this area, and of course the Foundation Center has been providing expert information for a number of years. I was wondering if you might start off the show today by giving us a brief overview of the Foundation Center and your work at the Foundation Center. Certainly, that would be, I'd be glad to do that. Um, the Foundation Center has actually been in existence since 1956, and um, we are, I like to call us a combination think tank public library training center. We collect and uh, create information about foundation giving. We um, publicize it in all different formats. We have a dense website. We have blogs. We have podcasts. We have online services galore on our site. And we also provide training both in the classroom uh, and also online. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that later. Um, I think one of the unique things about the center is, is that we create, we have an equal emphasis on creating information and making sure it gets out to the people who need it. Uh, we have five libraries that the Foundation Center runs um, in Washington, New York, Atlanta, Cleveland, and D.C., but we have in 425-plus public libraries and nonprofits around the country and now around the world where um, people can come in and access our information at no charge. So I think that's really what makes us very, very unique in terms of... Um, well, of course, that really does make a difference because the Foundation Center is not just an ivory tower of information, but really has this network of resources. Can you tell us uh, what is involved with that network? Because, of course, our listeners are all over the United States and all over the world, and even those who, who aren't listening to us right now do download us and listen by podcast. So can you provide us that map? You shared with us what cities the Foundation Centers are in, but what what about this network and what kind of information uh, can we find uh, literally around the world? Well, okay, it's at, on our website, www.foundationcenter.org. You click on the button at the top that says locations, and there's a link there to where you can find the cooperating collections in every state, and we have multiple um, collections in most states. The only state where we don't have a collection is Hawaii. And then we have collections in six, and I don't have the site open right now, countries in Nigeria, Mexico, Thailand, and I can't remember the other two, where people can go in those countries. And we are 
we are actively seeking to have more corporate and collections overseas. Um, and what they can do when they get to the um, corporate and collections or the foundation center libraries is have access to the foundation center, the foundation directory online at no charge. Um, and that's our premier database that gives information on about 100,000 foundations. And you can search by multiple search terms. We have all kinds of bells and whistles that will help you um, sort through the data now. We have visual charts. We have maps, etc. We have a new way of searching now called power searching, which is a keyword searching on steroids, I like to call it, where people can um, use that as opposed to the more guided, controlled search that we used to have, that we still have because it's useful to use both sides. So people come in and do that, and then at the um, Center Incorporating Collections, they also can get training. Um, in Washington, we do 12 to 15 free classes a month, plus we have about three or four um, full-day fee-based seminars as well, and we do everything from... Um, before you seek a grant, talking to agencies who don't necessarily have their 501c3, and we have things. Our newest class is um, fundraising in a challenging economic uh, crisis and everything in between, uh, how to work with your board, how to do a fundraising plan, et cetera, et cetera. Well, Patricia, and of course, you you are known for the rich information that you provide uh, through your Foundation Finder services. Mm -hmm. Now, those are available online for a fee, and as you just said, are available free if you go to uh, one of the Foundation Center collections. Um, what are the fees online if you know, someone's very busy and they want to have access to your collection? They actually can get that on their desktop. Is that right? Right. Well, okay. I want to. I want to. I want to clarify the, ling the language here. Foundation Finder is a free tool that's available on okay. our front page of our website, and that can help. So that's free for everybody. That is free for everybody. You can use that from home, okay. from school, from your office, etc. Foundation Directory Online is the fee-based product that you use when you come into the um, the Foundation Center, and we have a variety of plans. Um, so we make it um, affordable. You can do. Um, and how it how it works is the you get more access the more money you pay. So there are a certain amount of foundations you get in the basic plan, and then there are more organizations and types of services that you get as you go up the fee base scale. And it goes from about two hundred to twelve hundred um, in terms. So is that of the, so the difference is sort of the how in depth the information that you need as you're building your portfolio of foundations you're trying to raise money it's from. It's the it's the number of foundations because all the entries are okay. the same whether you get a basic subscription or a um, the premier it's the same same okay. profile well, I, I meant the difference between the free data on finder yeah. and the paid service on directory yeah that's only if you'll notice right away what you don't get is the board members and the application information on the finder the finder helps you locate the foundation and has okay. a very handy little trick it links you to the 990 pf where you can do further research so you could you could do that research yourself. One of the things I found very interesting on uh, on your site, of course, not only do you provide this direct information, but you also keep a lot of statistics. And in our newsletter uh, uh, that came out yesterday, which people can find at p2pfundraising.org uh, and just click on the archives, uh, is your animated map showing uh, foundation giving in the United States from 1975 to 2008. And I found that absolutely fascinating in terms of not only how foundation giving has grown over time, uh, but how it has literally become more balanced east-west um, from 1975 where you saw very little happening out west to, to now a, a whole lot more happening out west. Um, okay. Certainly the east coast is still the central focus of the foundation world. Is that correct? That's true. And I, it's interesting yeah. because our, our, our new president is really excited about visualization, so we have maps on many, many different um, products and in many different areas now on our website. And, um, it well, our, our, our compliments uh, to your president because I, I do agree that that sort of thing really helps bring the data alive uh, because you can literally put yourself to sleep looking at too much of this data. But when you can right. see it visually like that, mm -hmm. it seems to become a little bit more interesting for people. Right, yes, and it's definitely um, exciting. People get really excited when you put up a state and you click <laughs> and you see where the grants are. So, 
Exactly, exactly. You know, the, the Foundation Center has certainly grown over time, and uh, while uh, the bedrock information is still, I think, probably the most important information, and that is where is the money, who's got it, and how can I get it, uh, but you've really been increasing uh, your involvement in the area of training, bringing your expertise and the information that you have. As you just mentioned, you have a new class on uh, fundraising in, in hard economic times. Um, can you share uh, what is the center's philosophy of education? What are you trying to uh, uh, make happen here? But then also what's currently being offered and, and how can people access that? Um, well, I think the, the center's education program is sort of based on the theory that um, two things, that foundation fundraising is part of um, a diversified fundraising plan, and that's why you see more and more other classes being offered, and two, that foundation fundraising is a process. Um, it's not, you know, a hit and run, throw in a proposal and out you go. So most of our classes talk about relationship building um, and talk about who has to be involved in the entire fundraising process. We have a whole class just on your board and fundraising where we talk about how, you know, it is the responsibility of the board um, to make sure that the organization has the resources, financial resources it needs, and therefore it has to be actively involved in the fundraising plan as well as actually going out and working um, working 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 the, the donors as well so um, we don't see foundation fundraising as an isolated little island where people go and get a coconut and move off <laughs> they really have to learn where the uh, the relationship of the, they have to build a relationship with a fundraiser and as a matter of fact one of our newest books is now after the grant which talks about the fact that once you get a grant that's not the end of the story. It's the beginning of the story. And now you have to deliver um, the programs and projects that you said you were going to do, do your reports, and also make a difference. And that opens the doors for you to become, for more grants and to become more partnerships with, with the funding community. So our education process, education program is really based on those two principles. And to that end, we have programs starting from, like I said, before you seek a grant for those, for those organizations who are new and just really haven't gotten their feet wet and don't know what bylaws and et cetera the role of board members are. Um, then we go into introduction to fundraising planning, which and these are 90-minute, 60- to 90-minute classes that we offer for free in the library and also as webinars, uh, live webinars, and many of them are, are also recorded webinars. So you don't have to come to a class. You can actually log on to our um, events archive on our website and watch the recorded webinar or participate in the live webinar, or you can come into the class and come to one of the classes at the five libraries. And many of our cooperating collections also do classes um, on their own, and everybody in the states, everybody throughout the country should check and call your cooperating collection and find out you know, what classes they do. But we have the yeah, three... Remind everybody the five uh, uh, sites that, that you have are Atlanta, Cleveland, New York, San Francisco, and Washington, D.C. So there are classes that are held in all of those centers? Yes, we do. Most of us do between 12 and 15 classes a month um, of the free classes. Then we do the seminars, which are the full-day fee-based classes that we do that take, say, Introduction to Fundraising Planning, and it's a whole day. Proposal writing from 90 minutes to a whole day. We have a whole, a whole roster of classes that we do for the for the full day fee based classes. Then we have the Institute, which is our one week class, one week um, intense. You start with fundraising planning, you do board development, proposal writing, etc., and you spend the entire week at a foundation center, a library, or another nonprofit who's sponsoring it. And it's it's the total immersion class, <laughs> we call it, and people love it. I we just had one here in D.C. and they bond and you know they make friends for life uh, after going through um, the week class. But um, well, and those opportunities are so important to nonprofit executives who are often really under financial. Uh, pressure, and I, I'm so pleased to know of the the work of the Foundation Center because uh, with the clients that I work with, and I think that, that this is true for a lot of charities, is you know when they get into financial difficulty, they really look around and they they see foundations with big pots of money, and they think, well, of course they're going to want to give 
some of that to me, and they just start sh shipping out proposals, just blind proposals uh, to all sorts of foundations, just hoping that maybe through sheer volume uh, <laughs> they'll be able to actually raise money. And the point that you're making here is it really is a people-to-people -people business. It's building those relationships and building the trust because any foundation that gives you money wants to know it's well invested. Right. That's right. Uh, as I said, in our, in our how to approach foundations, which is our level two, once we get them up, then we have proposal writing, of course, and proposal writing um, basics, and of course our well-known research class. Um, but we have how to approach, which is more relationships. Is you know, what do you do? How do you um, how do you approach a foundation for the first time? Do you email? Do you send a letter? Um, do, do you have your board member call? Then we have uh, a section on how do you handle a site visit, um, how do you handle a telephone call, et cetera. So that's the, that's the relationship class. And then we also have the board class, which is really important. Um, and now we, have, we are developing an after-the-grant free class and a fee-based class to go along with the book, and hopefully that's going to be out at the end of the year. So that sort of completes this. We looked at last year, we looked at like what was missing in our six-pack, and we decided that it doesn't end with the grant. We know this, and after the grant is really important in order to, to you know, complete the education of someone who wanted to look through the whole Well, sure, and as, as most good fundraisers know, your best prospect for your next gift is the person who just gave right. uh, because they're close to you. They've done their, their due diligence, and they feel good about the, the work that you're doing. Uh, Pat, we do have a, an email question that just came in from Linda, um, and she's wondering if you can give a sense of what kinds of trends are you seeing uh, in foundation giving, uh, and uh, uh, and she goes on to she has a secondary part of it. Uh, is it topic specific? Um, I think we are still in from last in 2009. Um, we saw what we called stay in place. <laughs> Most foundations stood with programs um, that they had worked with in the past and had very few added very few new programs to their portfolios. Um, from what we're seeing here. Um, that behavior is still in the same mode and probably will be through the end of the year. Or maybe next year things will start to turn around. Um, funders are not leaving in mass droves their preferred area of funding. If they funded international programs, they're staying in international. If they're funding arts, et cetera. Now, some areas, we've been very lucky here in D.C. that the Community Foundation has done some really special fundraising for the safety net organizations. Um, that's more what you're seeing is there may be some special drives in communities, but mostly funders are staying, supporting those organizations that they know have a good track record, have delivered before, and they're counting on them to keep delivering through the tough times. And, and what are we seeing in terms of, of trends for uh, for giving? You're saying that they're they're staying uh, close to what they're, they've been funding, but that doesn't that put new charities or new causes at a disadvantage for being able to find grant support? Well, that I, I get this question all the time in the library. Our our research reports that we do a couple times a year, and I just talked to our research department before. Uh, this call, and the next one will be out in the fall. I mean, for this year, for 2010, they predicted a, another 10% drop in giving, uh, approximately. It was 10% last year, approximately 10%, but, I mean, the stock market's been doing well or better. So it'll, it will vary. Um, so we're still seeing that funders are still basically, when you look at the requirements, they're saying we're funding at the same level as we did last year or a little bit less. And I think that's a lot of funders, and we do fundraising in our office, we find that we kept most of our donors, but they dropped down the amount that they gave us. Uh, and a little bit or a lot, <laughs> um, but I think a lot of right. Right. We had Nancy Rabin, the chair of the Giving Institute, as our page two expert on the June 9th show when they released uh, their annual estimates of giving, uh, and they found that for the first time in history, we had uh, two years in a row where we had a decline uh, in total giving uh, uh, in the United States, and that giving did fall uh, by 3.6 percent. Right. Uh, and uh, and certainly foundations were. Not one of the bright spots, no. uh, and and I think that that was due to uh, two things. One is cautiousness on the part of the foundations, but certainly they saw their own funds uh, depleted when the the stock market 
went down. Um, are, you're in contact with a lot of foundations, and certainly they use you as a resource. There are about 77,000 foundations in the United States. What's sort of the state of the foundation uh, world right now? Are they recovering their portfolios? Are they really nervous about the future? Is some of that money just gone forever? I think I think it varies. <laughs> As is always the answer when you when you talk about foundation funding. Some did better than others in terms of their portfolios. I think many are being conservative because they are trying to rebuild their um, endowments, and of course that's very controversial because some people say spend, 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 save it, you know, build up your portfolios later. Um, I think it it is very much a individual decision, um, which is why one of the good things that I think has happened. Um, out of the economic downturn is foundations have been much more um, communicative about what they're doing. Uh, I saw more letters to the community. I saw more, um, you know, information on their websites about what they were doing, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that was a good thing that has come out of the economic downturn. Foundations have been trying to be very open and honest with grantees about what they can actually expect. And so I think part of the responsibility of grantees is to check out the foundation's um, information sources um, before they send in proposals. Right, an increasing number of foundations are tweeting information. They're on Facebook. They're they are becoming more transparent for those charities that want to seek out that information. But Pat, isn't it a matter of balance? I'm wondering what your advice is for nonprofits in the United States. When we look at the the donor marketplace, there's about 75 million households in the United States that give. There's about a million corporations that give uh, about 120,000 large estates that become part of the, the Giving Institute's Giving USA report. And as I mentioned before, about 77,000 foundations. So in terms of a fundraising plan, I think a lot of charities see big pots of money uh, and chase after that as opposed to maybe building a stronger base on the individual side. Where do you think foundation fundraising should fit in the overall fundraising plan for an average charity? Well, we start almost every, well, many of our fundraising classes include the Giving USA, we call, as we all know, the pie. And when we show people how much money is given by individuals, they go, oh, no. <laughs> they, you're, you're right. Most people think that they are not in tune with the fact that most money comes from individuals and other sources and, and earned income. Um, and so I think that in doing a... Um, a fundraising plan. Um, it's it's hard work, and I think nonprofits have to look at what their potential is in each of these areas and rate. Do they have the resources to do the different types of fundraising that they need to do? So we always have we use a stool as a as a visual, and we show you know your organization's the seat, and then you have to have different legs in order to keep your program on um, in a, a stable balance, but. The other thing we all know about foundation fundraising, it's not ongoing. So it's they like to do program-specific, special projects. They're in and out. You know, they change priorities depending on what the um, crisis or the or the mode in fundraising is in a different area. And so you have to really look at a fundraising plan that includes a wide variety of choices and use foundations as one of those pieces and know that it may come in and out depending on, you know, what's going on with the foundation's own strategic priorities, et cetera. Pat, when I'm, when I'm training uh, charities or working with clients on their strategy, I try to always help them position their thinking about where foundations fit as foundations are the venture capital dollars right. of the nonprofit world. Uh, as opposed to that stable, ongoing funding. Because I find that a lot of charities, when they get a gift, they almost want to sort of bank it and say, okay, well, of course they're going to give to me again. Now I'm on to the next source of funding. They don't think about the relationship, and they don't think about really understanding what does that foundation have in mind. Was that a one-time gift? Does it need to be okay to be a one-time gift? Do you see a lot of that in the folks who come for training, sort of a misunderstanding of <laughs> the ongoing nature of I, the absolutely ongoing, yes. As I said, when we show, we always show the Giving USA pie, and then we go on to the fact that you know where does this money foundation go? And in, in our statistics section, you can see the amount percentage-wise that foundations give for program support is way ahead of 
um, you know, on general operating support and seed money. And um, it is an interesting where they get this perception because there are, of course, some organizations who do get foundation funding every year and have gotten it for, you know, decades. And I think part of the frustration of, of people who start in fundraising is that foundations are not an industry. Um, they're really there's a little saying, if you know one foundation, you know one foundation. And so they see an exception or they see one fan, one nonprofit getting money for a long time from a foundation. They figure, well, if they can get it, I can get it too because nonprofits are eternally optimistic about you know how they can uh, keep their organizations afloat. But isn't it true, and, and, and I know this is a generality and it's hard for us to hit specifics in, in a general call like this, but isn't it true that – in general, for a found, for a charity that receives money from a foundation year after year after year, they're almost reinventing that ask each time. Rare is it that a foundation literally is funding the exact same program for the exact same organization over a long period of time. There, there's nuances to that need as if almost and, – and, and part of the success there is a smart charity that is working on that relationship and is identifying where is the foundation shifting vis-a-vis VR programs as opposed to constantly thinking of it as just safe money. Right, yeah, and I think that's that's a very good point. And I think another little tweak that happened last year was that there were actually some foundations who said, okay, you can have it for general operating support. You don't, We don't want you to come up with a new program in 2009 because we know you're having problems keeping your doors open. And so that was a refreshing right. sigh of relief for a number of nonprofits last year. And it seems to be continuing a little bit into this year, too. You know, do what you're doing well. That, well. That, those are more enlightened foundations, wouldn't right. you say? That's, yeah. Anyway, and as I said, for many people, that was, like, great because reinventing the wheel every year is, is time-consuming and <laughs> not necessarily what you need to do. Pat, there's two things that I want to explore in terms of your um, expertise with foundations and helping charities really understand the inner working minds of a, of a foundation, grant officer or president of a foundation. One is, what is the, the difference or the sameness, if you will, from a corporate foundation to a charitable foundation? Oh, we have a whole class on that. <laughs> Quickly, um, Corporate foundations usually are one of many ways that a corporation can give um, because a corporate foundation basically is a separate legal entity from the corporation. It may or may not be endowed. Um, Usually it shares staff with a corporation, um, and it has less flexibility in terms of some of these what I call creative corporate endeavors like cause-related marketing, et cetera. It can't do because it, it is subject to the law's that the other foundations, private foundations, are uh, – it is a private foundation and is subject to the laws about, of the IRS about self-dealing and grants to individuals, et cetera, et cetera. So most corporations have corporate foundations, um, but they also have um, direct corporate giving programs. And then they give not only to through that, but they also use their, own, their straight um, marketing dollars and PR dollars to support some programs. So um, the, in addition to the – structure we always like to say that in our corporate class is we talk about the you've got to see there's got to be an angle the corporation be it a, through its foundation or its direct corporate giving program or its promotional dollar wants to see how your working with you will enhance its image to consumers or to its employees that's great pat we uh, we do have a caller uh who would like to ask you a question uh caller you're on the line with pat uh, Pasquale from the Foundation Center and Ted Hart, the nonprofit coach. Go ahead, caller. Hi. My for my nonprofit organization, how can I increase my annual turnover and find money to pay my own wages? Okay, she's talking about she's increasing your fundraising so you can pay your wages. Did I get that right? Yes. Okay. Um, that's probably one of the harder um, things to raise money for general operating support basically, and staffing, um, you might want to take a look at um, what other kinds of sources you have in addition to foundation support. Um, You might want to look at is there any earned income kind of activity you can do. You need probably to come up with some kind of solicitation from uh, from individuals. Um, Because in the long term, um, for those organizations who are stable, it's earned income and individual giving that sort of pays the bills, the general operating support, et cetera, and foundation support is for special projects and programs. 
Ted, okay. I'm sure you have some ideas. Okay. Uh, I was just wondering if part of this uh, is also charities getting good at understanding how to talk to foundations. Because while you're thinking salary and you're thinking meeting core budgets, the foundation is, is looking at outcomes. And so is part of it also a packaging issue? As, as you were saying, you know, do you have other forms of funding that could pay for those core and allow foundations to fund those things that are more me measurable and maybe are new and exciting sort of venture capital kinds of things? Pat? Yes. No, I, I agree. I totally. Okay. Okay. Um, right, well, thank you, caller, for joining us here on the nonprofit coach. I think that is sort of a, a crux of a lot of uh, angst that uh, charity officers have uh, in needing that money for those core services, and yet the the misconception is, is that foundations are really not – that's not their thing. Right. I agree. So, um, Pat, I wanted to uh, also ask you uh, about the wide variety, and, and, and I suppose this comes up in your research, uh, but in terms of advice that you have for approach, that all foundations are not created equal, uh, <laughs> that some have great stores of knowledge and information that can evaluate uh, grants uh, support, and some have very few staff members, uh, and therefore I suppose tend to be more conservative in not going out on a limb for new programs. Well, I, I think, yes, you are correct. that It's a major misperception that all foundations are alike. And we have, as you know, a wide variety of foundations uh, in terms of size and in operating style. Um, one of the biggest issues for, again, people who are new to fundraising is the fact that we have what we call the staffed and larger foundations, and then we have the unstaffed foundations. Uh, and family foundations. And approaching each of those two groups is very different, um, as, as you probably know. Um, we have uh, a, pr a new program called Glass Pockets, which is a program looking at transparency and accountability in foundations. And it's looking at those foundations that have um, websites and use social media and make more information available. That's the it's that's the classic kind of foundation people think. People think all foundations have websites and they have staff and they have Twitter and they have on you know online resources, etc. But you know, it's the twenty eighty it's the eighty twenty rule in foundation um giving. Um most of the money comes from twenty percent of the foundations and the other eighty are smaller and not staffed, um, don't have websites and you have to do the more personal approach to them. Um, and that is extremely frustrating, to, I know, to a lot of our the new people who come in who are getting started because those newer, I mean, the smaller family, well, the, small, the family foundations, not necessarily small, really do personal giving, and that's that relationship building, which is so much harder to do, um, especially for newer organizations. Isn't one of the secrets uh, to potential new money, and, I, and I'm always trying to help charities, find new money, and of course there's, there's no guarantees and there's no direct line, uh, but isn't uh, one of the hidden secrets in the foundation world private foundations that really are not out there advertising or not accepting applications, but as you said, uh, possibly getting uh, a copy of their 990, finding out who serves on their board, and, and trying to build the kind of relationships that might bring you money as opposed to just you know writing a grant and getting in the hopper with everybody else in the world? Well, I, it's it, I don't know. The return on investment <laughs> would be the question I, I worry about because in order to court a lot of these family foundations, it's a lot of time um, and with no guarantee of, of a return. Um, right. I don't know. I would I would wonder if you know spending the same amount of time doing developing an individual mailing list might be um, more productive. Um, it, it's funny fundraising. You do have to really think about. What, how much effort do you put into it, and what kind of return you're doing? We're doing a program in a couple of weeks on special events. You know, are they worth it? Uh, it's the ongoing question in the nonprofit world. You know, you spend all this time, you don't get a lot of money. Um, it's the same question with social media right now. People are spending a lot of time on social media. They're getting little, a small return. It's getting bigger, but right now it's not a big, it's not a big right. turnover. I think, so, I think it's a matter of what kind of investment you're making for the long term. Yeah, on right. special events. 
what I always share with my clients is that you should absolutely, this is my opinion, should not do a special event if it's at, at least at not, not at least 50% recognition and promotion. Uh, if it's purely fundraising, then you're, and you're probably not counting all the staff time and volunteer time and all the, the uh, effort that goes into it, you probably are actually losing money. Well, we had a, there was an example in Alexandria of an organization that sent out an announcement to the donors saying, we're not doing a special event anymore because we're spending so much time on the special event, it's taking away from our work on core um, areas, service areas. And that was pretty, that was pretty, that was pretty amazing. But they sat down and said the return on investment isn't, isn't worth it. So. Yeah, and that, that really has to be read. And you brought up social media. Of course, this is one of the topics that, that uh, I write about and, and lecture about quite a bit. And my advice for charities starting out is to set aside 10 to 15% of their fundraising budget and 10 to 15% of their time uh, in building these tools and preparing for the future. Uh, what kinds of – do you have anything similar to that in terms of allocation of time and allocation of, of staff resources and budget resources towards grant support? Is there, is there sort of a, uh, a rule of thumb that you give people in terms of keeping it in balance? Because as you've mentioned a few times, and, and certainly Giving USA bears it out, the bulk of the money that's given is individuals, so shouldn't that be the bulk of the time invested? We don't, we don't have a formula, but all of the people who teach here, because that's what we do at the center is we bring in experts, uh, like we hope to have you come, uh, and to talk on this area. But, yes, um, as I said, we, we talk about the fact that it has to be part of the plan, um, but it's not the over, you know, it's not the major part of your fundraising strategy. And it's really easy to spend a lot of time on foundation research. <laughs> I see people come in here and they can just get, they, they're mesmerized by the amount, the possibility, and they need to rein themselves in. Right. So, so it is a matter of, of helping them understand what is the proper balance right. uh, in terms of what they're, they're, they're looking for and what the potential outcome might be. How right. realistic is it that you will get that grant? Right. I mean, they, people will guess when you say, I mean, you could spend all of your time on this grant and get nothing. I mean, basically, there's no, if your grant is turned down, there is no immediate return. You may, maybe down the road in a couple of years, you may be able to turn it around, whereas you may have a better chance of getting at least something sending out individual letters to donors. So. Pat, clearly the Foundation Center is one of the most important resources in the nonprofit sector uh, here in the United States for all charities because they, as you said, a balanced fundraising approach is going to have a foundation aspect to that. You specifically uh, are the director of the D.C. office, and you have a wealth of information. Can you, as I'm watching the clock here, uh, can you make sure that everybody here understands how they can contact you um, and what the hours are and how they can utilize the D.C. office? Sure. The D.C. office, we're at 1627 K Street, um, right downtown, and our office hours are 10 to 5, Monday through Friday, uh, except on Tuesdays when we're open till 8. And um, it's walk-in, as in as is all Foundation Center libraries. You don't need an appointment. You come in. There's always somebody at the desk that can help you. Uh, we generally ask people, we try to get people to take a couple of classes first before they sit down at the database, but we will help you if you come in straight off the street and we'll sit down. And so in addition to the library resources, um, we have a lending collection, which is very popular. We, we loaned over 600 books last year on all aspects of fundraising and nonprofit management. And then we have our classes um, usually at least four days a week um, in terms of either the free or the fee-based classes. And um, we have special events where we invite people to come in. As I said, the special events program that's coming up, do it or don't do it. We have a social media program in July, and we also have one on careers in the nonprofit sector. Because during this very turbulent time, we have had sort of three streams. We have programs for the unemployed. We've had networking nights and um, advice for fundraisers who are looking for new jobs. We've also had TechSense, which is our technology program. And then we have had the out-of-the-box programs, which are um, government grants, um, workplace giving, uh, individual giving, um, top donors, etc. So we try to do a full blanket um, for fundraising. And we have a blog and a Twitter account and an e-newsletter. So we're trying to do the social networking thing as well. <laughs> oh, that's important. Pat, what would you say is the single most uh, popular thing that the Foundation Center provides right now? Well, what I think we provide, what people think we provide, our most popular subject is proposal writing. 
bar none. I mean, we could end, we could do programs every day on proposals already. But I think what we offer is a balanced um, view and offering a wide variety of programs in different formats so that people can do them in their homes, in their offices, um, and that they can work everywhere. And I think providing access is what we do and providing as much free access as, as our budget can stand is, is really what is our best, is our, is our really good, is our best feature. And Pat, wouldn't you say that, I mean, not only do you have amazing resources that just can't be found anywhere else, uh, but wouldn't you say that another reason to engage with the Foundation Center is just that, that inner knowledge that you live and breathe this stuff, mm-hmm. that you really do understand what foundations are looking for and can help guide charities uh, towards making their best presentation? Right. I think um, the staff here is one of the most seasoned, and we have seasoned staff around the country, but we're the, we have the most seasoned staff here. And um, they, they see it, we live it, and breathe it. And some of the stories I could tell you about people trying to raise money, um, they're sad, I mean, they're, but they're also inspirational because I think that's the best thing about the nonprofit sector in this country is that um, you, they may be knocked over for a while, but they'll bounce back up because they believe in the causes that they are working in. Sounds bad. Pat, I cannot thank you enough uh, for joining us here on The Nonprofit Coach. This information uh, has been very, very valuable, and I have absolutely no doubt this is going to be a must-listen podcast for anybody who's interested uh, in the Foundation Center or in grant writing. Thank you so much for being my guest here on The Nonprofit Coach. Well, thank you for having me, and I hope you come and visit us and do a presentation here soon. I'm looking forward to it. Just invite me. We'll work it all out. Okay. Thanks, Pat. Hard to believe that that hour is going by so fast, but when you've got someone like uh, Pat Pasquale that is just so full of information, uh, it's, it's hard to know where to go next. Uh, but Pat's done a fantastic job to, for us today. Just a couple of things here on page three is the content in the People to People fundraising newsletter. You can find that at p2pfundraising.org. And, of course, we do want to draw your attention to the release of the very important book, The Networked Nonprofit by Beth Cantor and Allison Fine, and we have that information uh, in the newsletter today. As I mentioned before, we do have that animated map. It's just fun to watch from 1975 to 2008, where is the money uh, and how close are you to it? Uh, we also have a special offer uh, from uh, Activa, which is uh, an, an important online registration and donation site, uh, so please check that out because they're providing uh, a 15% discount uh, for listeners of the Nonprofit Coast, so we thank them for adding that extra uh, benefit. Uh, as always, we have all the radio links from uh, today's show. Uh, I want to draw your attention to the fact that we are uh, fast approaching uh, 800 uh, members of our LinkedIn group, so make sure that you go and join that today. And our last show uh, before our break is going to be coming up next week, and that's June 29th. Uh, we'll be live here with Todd Cohen, the editor and publisher of Philanthropy Journal. Of course, the Philanthropy Journal being one of those nonprofit publications uh, that we do um, uh, uh, often have on our page one news uh, here on the Nonprofit Coach, so don't miss the opportunity to call in and ask questions about the wealth of information that is provided in the Philanthropy Journal from our page two uh, expert, Todd Cohen. Last up here on the Nonprofit Coach today is Where Will Ted Be? And that is on Monday, June 28th, I will be in New York at the National Conference on Volunteering and Service. I really look forward to speaking at the Hilton, New York. I'll be in Nassau Suite A uh, at 10 a.m. And as I said, that will be on the Nonprofit Guide to Going Green. So please come and join me and learn all about the practical information of greennonprofits.org and how your organization can go green on a nonprofit budget. Uh, Next uh, week, uh, right after our radio show on June 29th, I will be uh, hopping on a plane and heading over to London uh, for the fine folks with action planning, uh, and we will uh, be doing a, a series of trainings in July. Uh, so while uh, you, we are on break, uh, I will still be working hard, uh, and that is I will be lecturing at Westminster Central Hall on July 1st. I'll then be going on to uh, Manchester, where from there I will be lecturing in Leeds and Birmingham uh, uh, on the uh, uh, the week of uh, uh, the 12th 
of July. So uh, make sure that uh, you, uh, uh, if you are in the UK and listening to us, make sure that you come out and join us. You can find all the information at actionplanning.co. UK. So thank you again, everyone, for joining us here on The Nonprofit Coach. We'll be right back here next week on Tuesday, June 29th. Thanks for joining us. Lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.